Thanks for joining the Capital Church podcast channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at capitalchurch.co. I have, uh, I have an assignment to speak to you today. And uh, this is going to be different. So get ready. I'm splitting this into two parts. The first part, I'm going to repeat what was said 10 months ago. I'm going to repeat what was said in this pulpit by Dr. Frank DiMazio 10 months ago. I have his notes. I'm going to refer to the prophetic word that came over this church. Now, when prophetic words come, it's the word of God that we're to grab a hold of. The Bible says in Timothy that we're to fight with the prophetic word that comes over us. And so uh, this morning, I'm going to uh, take about 15 minutes or so, and I'm going to preach his message. I'm going to remind you of what he said. The prophetic word that came over this house 10 months ago. And then I'm going to stop. We're going to pray it into us. And then I'm going to speak for about 15 more minutes about a fresh word that God has given me that I think we need to have in the house. Are you, are you with me? Yes. Father, we just pray now a special anointing upon us as, as we uh, stand in this holy place, as we come together in this house to do the will of God. Let the kingdom of God be advanced today as we hear the word in Jesus' name. Illuminate our minds. I cut off all distractions and I release an attention to your word and to your will in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ten months ago, Frank stood in this pulpit and he said this. Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do abundantly and exceedingly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations Forever and ever, amen. And then he went in, he spoke that word, that scripture, and then he began to prophesy over this house. Now, I've known Frank for a long time. He doesn't do this very often. There was, a, there was a, a prophetic anointing that came on to him, and he said this, there's a shift coming to us. It's taking us to another level. It's a shift and a revelation. It's an acceleration and it's happening right now. He said right now several times. He said there, there, there are new open doors. Supernatural activities. Church will be growing. A shift of acceleration. Things that would take long would now be short. I'm just repeating the prophetic word. Now you've got to grab a hold of it. And he, he began to say when we sit in an atmosphere, uh, an atmosphere of the spirit, it affects us. And then he, he began to speak about John 2. John 2 is the scripture. It's the, it's the scripture of the very first miracle that Jesus performed. The miracle was at the Cain of Galilee in which Jesus turned the water into wine. And he began to prophesy over this house that this would be a house that would be, because the wine was saved, the very best wine was saved for the last, this would be a house that the very best would be at the end of time for us. The, the best would be in this house the good wine saved to the end. He said it would turn a 20-year process into an instant process. 
Now we know that, that scripture. And he began to, to speak to us about being a vision people. Vision turns nothingness and emptiness into fulfillness or into fullness. Turning formlessness into fullness. And the word of the Lord will cause the vision to come to pass. The word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is powerful. When it's spoken, it, it, it is there for us to grab a hold of. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. And we grab a hold of this. He began to say, well, you, you were, you're going to move with acceleration. Put the failures in the grave and move on. And then he began to speak of the power of we or us, the unity of the house. For he said, the power of we is the secret to seeing and doing great things for God that will be mind-boggling beyond anything you can imagine. And then he spoke Isaiah 60, verse 22. A little one shall become a thousand, and a small one a strong nation. I, the Lord, will hasten it in its time. Now, you might say, well, this is just a small church in Idaho. Oh, they're, they're the least of all of the states of the United States. Well, they said that of people in the Bible, and they would stand up and do mighty things for God. I've had this spoken over us in Washington, D.C. They said, what in the world are you doing here? You're from Idaho? What, what good comes out of Idaho? And I said, well, we're, we're the bellwether state. And I would begin to preach to them good things. Now, this is a scripture where there is, where, where, where there is this, ap this aptitude of, of a power of we. God is going to do something. He's going to do it in a short amount of time. And it's going to be past our imagination. And the time is right. And Frank began to proclaim it over the congregation. He, shall, he said the church is going to have a facelift. What does that mean? It's going to, there's changes. There's changes. The way it used to be is probably not the way it's going to be. And we're going to have the power of us, the unity, put together. The vision is, going to, is greater than anything we've ever seen. And when the time is right, and he said, now is the time. Now, this is 10 months ago, people. Come on, we've got to push forward. We've got to grab a hold. We've got to fight the fight with the prophetic word that came over us. And he, he began to speak out of Ephesians 3.20, where each one of us have our own divine destiny, our own unique personality, our own spiritual distinctives, distinctives and our own God-given vision. But God puts them all together to become a people in a house that become a we, an us, a unity that will do great things. Don't limit what God is doing. Making vision happen is taking the promises, the prophecies, and the passion and making them reality tangible and fulfilled. Come on, Lord. Vision people are special people. Now's the time. He said this over and over. Now is the time. Now is the time. And I, I want to say this because this is what we've been speaking of. I'm going to speak about it a little bit more in just a few minutes. The kingdom of God is worth the effort. Everything you want for your child and your family is in the kingdom of God. Everything. There's nothing lacking. Everything you want. But if the people don't carry it, it won't get done. Proverbs 29.8, without a vision, the people perish. Without, with no revelation, there is, they, they cast off restraint. We need to be vision carriers. I remember years ago, I spoke a whole series on the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah 4.6 jumped out to me. Nehemiah, as you remember, was, 
was the, a man who went into Jerusalem and built the wall. And the reason why the wall was built, a very key scripture in Nehemiah 4, 6, it says, for the people had a mind to work. I'm going to tell you, God doesn't just throw things to you and say, hey, here, here's a gift, here's, here's this. He likes to give us things, but he wants us to learn to step out in faith and grab a hold of what he has already promised and prophesied for us. And so here we have, we have a mind to work. Vision is the ability to see for this house. God vision is supernatural. Wall, we need to be wall builders, not wall sitters. Now, can I just say something? If in the kingdom of God, you need to do something you've never done before. You know what, what, what happens? We are too... We, we're in the comfort range in America. We, 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 we love comfort. We love convenience. And so we do everything we've always done. And if you do everything you've always done, you're never going to have much excitement in your life. There's not much adventure. But the kingdom is adventurous. And God pushes us to move into some area we've never been before. I challenge you, move in the kingdom. Do something in your spiritual life. And even in your natural life, you've never done before. Come on, move out, move out, step out. Take a little faith. You got, it takes a little faith to do that. But that's, that's what God is trying to get us to do, to move out. Do things we've never done before. For vision people have eyes to see. They, they see things that they, if it's in front of them and they go to take it. Ephesians 1.18, great scripture says, the eyes of your understanding being lightened, that you may know what is the hope of your calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in, this, in the saints. In other words, you got to see what our inheritance is. See what God is doing. I, I love this area of opening our eyes. We see this in Genesis 21, verses 17 through 19. We see this in the life of Hagar. Uh, here's Hagar and Ishmael. They're, they're, they're in the wilderness, and, and God heard the voice of the lad, hey, Ishmael. Then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Can I just tell you, what ails you, church? Now watch this. Watch this, because God always has an answer for his questions. What ails you? And then God says, fear not. For every ail that you have, God has a fear not. And he says, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. And then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink, and they survived. Now, let me just say this. The well was already always there. She just needed to have open eyes to see it. I'm telling you right now, there are, there are wells in front of us that God wants to open your eyes to that it will give, give strength and sustenance to that you can move into things that God has destined for your life. God has a lot of wells that he has for you in your life. He just has to open your eyes to see it. But I want to tell you this, the devil likes to, he tries to get you to live an insignificant life. That's what he's up to. He's trying to get you to live an insignificant life. He's going to focus on, on the non-essentials and, and the indifferent things. And, you know, he, he tries to get you involved in so many good things, you don't have any time to do the great things. I, I think we, we that every one of us, I, I'm, I'm speaking to me, I'm, we all need to reprioritize. 
he tries to get us misfocused. You, you focus on the wrong things. I'm telling you, the kingdom of God is the right focus. It's the most important focus you can have. Focus on the kingdom of God. And, I, you know, if you understand this, people are eternal. Everyone in this room is going to live forever. Did you, did you ever thought about that? Every one of us live forever. We just decide where that's going to be. We're going to live forever. You, you are going to live forever. Do, do you know how long that is? Every time I think about it, it blows my mind. Forever is a long time. Billions and billions and billions and billions of years. In fact, it's not even, you can't even time it. It's timeless. But people are eternal. And God is attempting to get you into a place that you understand the kingdom of God because you're going to be involved in the kingdom of God for the rest of your, which is forever. So don't make the past the prophecy of your future. People without a vision go back to the past. We need to be vision people. Go to the future. Go to where God is calling you, the kingdom of God. Call the kingdom of God into your life. Vision people have moved from spectator to participator to owner. You know, have you ever noticed the difference between owners and renters? Owner has a heart for everything. They have deep feeling for the things that they own. Renters tend to be whiners. Let's quit renting the church. Let's own the church. Now, I'm just repeating what Frank said last year, or this, 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 uh, this January. I find it very interesting. Nehemiah 1, 3 through 11. This is a very, I, I don't have time to read it, but Nehemiah 1, 3 through 11 fascinating story about a man who was a renter. His name was Nehemiah. He was a cupbearer in the king's court. One day he heard that, he was a Jew, but he heard that his, his city was burned, the gates were burned with fire, and the walls were torn down. And all of a sudden he got this burden, I think it's a God burden, God burden, he prayed to God, and he realized that he had to do something. And so he stepped out and became a participator leading to ownership. He participated by going to the king and asking for help. And then he led a whole troop of people back to Jerusalem to build the wall again. He became an owner. Changed his life. Do something. This is, this is your kingdom. This is your house. Right, you're quiet today. Come on, we got to move into the, the purposes and the promises of God. And see what this, this is that, that God has for us. I, I, I hate to quote Ralph Waldo Emerson, I hardly ever do, but he said this, the purpose of life is not to be happy, but to be useful. Do you know what we do as kingdom people? We don't really understand that we're kingdom people. And so we just, this, can I just say this, church in the kingdom isn't all about you. I'm really sorry to tell you that, but it's not about you. Jesus said, if you seek first the kingdom, he can take care of everything else, and you're going to have a happy life. But if you try to do it all yourself, and it's all about you, you will have a lousy life, even as a Christian or even as a believer. God says, I want you to move out and become an owner. Then I close with this, and then we're going to pray. So worship team, prepare yourselves. Psalm 133, 1 through 3. It says this, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. 
It starts out with this. It's like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron. In other words, he's talking about, he's talking about oil being on the head of a priest going down throughout his entire being, even to his feet. And he says this, for there, where there's unity and where there's anointing on the body, for there the Lord commands a blessing. For there the Lord commands a blessing. Now, can I, let me reiterate again. You are the priesthood of all believers. As a member of the kingdom of God, you're a king and a priest. That means you're a priest. You have a function. You are royalty, first of all. You have a position as a prince and a king in the house of God. But you are also there with a function. The function is priesthood, where you stand in the gap for things on the earth, and you call out heaven to come down to earth. That's our primary role. Heaven! Come to earth. Let the will of God come out of heaven to earth. That's why he put that in the Lord's Prayer. When you pray, pray it this way. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So whenever we pray, we're to, cry, we're to cry out to God that the kingdom of God would come from heaven to earth. What does that mean? The rule of God in every area. So I pray the rule of God in this business. I pray the rule of God in our government. I pray the rule of God over President Trump. I pray the rule of God over this state and in our, in our governor and our legislature. I pray the rule of God over this neighborhood. I pray the rule of God over this family. I pray the rule of God over this sickness and disease. I pray the rule of God. You start praying that way, what happens? You are God's instrument. You're a priest doing the will of God on the earth. You haven't been sent here just to occupy a seat today. You're the priesthood of all believers. Isn't that right, Presley? He's listening to me. I'm preaching into him. Come on, people. Let's, let's believe this. Let's understand this. Now, the last scripture is Matthew 18, 19. I don't know. I, I read this scripture and I think, are you sure, Lord? This is, is this true? Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. I looked at scripture and it's red letter. I, I didn't. I'm just repeating what Jesus said. Again, I say, if two of you agree, you know what the word agree is? The word agree is symphonio. It's the word symphony. It's the word symphony. It means that we're, we're playing off the same page. I used to direct choirs and orchestras and bands. I loved it because everybody had their script. They had their, you know, their, their, their play script in front of them. And, and, and they, they knew that at certain, uh, one of the certain times they would come in and they would, that the bassoons would come in here and the piccolos here and the trumpets and the trombos and they played together but they play, they may have had a different instrument, a different gift, but they all played together for a same sound. When we agree in prayer, you know what we're doing? We're making a sound happen. Do you know what? I found this, it, the, I want to blow you away right here, okay? Do you know that sound, the word agreement is, is sound, but do you know what sound, I, I made a research of this scientifically, Sound actually turns into light. We are the light of the world. Do you know when the stars, Tracy was talking about the stars, when the stars were created, you know how God created them? They sang to each other. Go to the book of, Judge, uh, book of Job. They sang to each other in creation. That, that's how they were created. 
when we agree, sound and light come forth. You know, talk about Star Wars. Come on. This is what God is doing. He's asking us to come together in agreement to be the people of God. Now, what we're going to do is this. Are you ready, guys? Where's the rest of the team? Wow. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to pray these things. Did, did you catch some of the things I said? Come on. I, I'm just re, I just repeated. I basically repeated what Frank said 10 months ago. Let's pray it into us. Let's pray it into the church. Let's pray it into our spirit. Let's sing it into us. Let's agree that God is going to do something. Uh, you got to take a shift. Come on. you got to move. Come on. we got to move into a new dimension. You know, in, in another two months, we're having a prayer conference, and Dr. Frank's coming back. And we have several others coming back, and we're, we're going to pray it. We're going to sing it. We're going to worship it in, into our beings. I think God is waiting for a people that will agree on earth concerning these things and pray it into existence and see what God will do. He's waiting for people to, to do great things on the earth. We got to pray these things. We got to pray that, that uh, and I'll just repeat these. We got to pray that we would have a, a shift and a revelation. We would have an acceleration. We would see supernatural activities happen around us. It would be that, that things would happen instantly in our lives. We would see all these things. We would see that the time is right. The power of God is moving. And we're gonna have we're gonna be a vision people to see God move. So stand to your feet right now. Stand to your feet. We're gonna we're gonna pray this. Now, can I just tell you, uh, if you've never prayed before, just pray as loud as you sing. And I I pray loud, so I've if just go ahead and pray. What? But I'm gonna I'm gonna start praying. You pray some of the things that you heard me say prayed into you. Lord, I just prayed that I would be a person of vision. I pray that you would work supernatural things through me. I pray all, you start praying that way, all right? I will pray, but the Bible says when you pray, say. So you got to say it. You can't think it. You got to say it. And then some of you might say, well, I don't know about the person next to me. Forget about the person next to you. You know, this is about you. So just, just begin to pray this right now. Let's believe. Father, we just pray right now. By the power of the Holy Spirit, that you begin to move in our hearts. Lord, the things that we, that we spoke and was prophesied over this house, we ask that you would do it right now. I pray a shift in the house. I pray greater revelation in the house. I pray the hand of the Lord come upon us and do great and greater things. And you would move by your power. Make us vision, people. Lord, let us be those who would be owners, who would, who would come into the ownership of this house and see wonderful things happen. Lord, the promises and the prophecies, let them take place in this house by the vision and the power of God. Right now in Jesus' name. Now pray for a vision. Pray that your eyes may be open right now. I'm going to stop praying and uh, uh, leading you. You start praying right now. Pray a vision. Pray eyes open. Pray ears open. Pray that your heart would be stirred. I feel in this moment right now, there are, there are at least 12 people here that, that you have not been living for God. Maybe you've never known him intimately. Maybe some of you knew him, but you, you kind of went away. But today, I feel like God is calling you home. I feel like there are 12 of you that would say, yes, I need, to, I need Jesus to re-energize my life. And if that's you, I want you to raise your hand right now. I need the lights up a little bit, please. Just lift your hand right now. Just keep it up. I see one, two, three. I see 
four, five, six, seven, eight. Anyone else? Anyone else? Eight, nine. There's one more, 10. Two more, two more. I just felt it. There were 12. There's another one, 11. There's 12. Okay, right now. Say this prayer with me. Those that you have raised your hand, put your hand in your heart right now. God is going to do an amazing work in you. He's going to do a quick work. Pray this prayer with me, church. Father, I give my whole life to you. I ask that you turn me around. I believe in my heart, and I confess with my mouth. You're the Lord and Savior of my life. I trust you. I give you everything. Cleanse me by the blood of the Lamb. Make me a brand new person. And draw me by your spirit to become a citizen of the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Give the Lord a hand. Okay, you may be seated. I have 18 minutes and 22 seconds. Okay, I, I want to share something with you. I've been uh, sharing in Wednesday nights with our prayer, t prayer group some revelation I want to share with you. You know what we are? According to scripture, we're a royal family. We're, a, we're kingdom citizens. And you have to understand that God commissioned Adam and Eve in the garden. He commissioned them to be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth, and take dominion. He commissioned them as kingdom citizens. And they were to extend the borders of the garden, which actually expressed the the, the nature of God's kingdom. Now, I'm going to give you a revelation right now. You've got you to catch this. If you, don't, if you don't remember anything else today, catch this. Catch this. The nature of the kingdom of God is that it is always increasing. Come on. The nature of the kingdom of God is that it is always increasing. Isaiah 9, 7 says, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of his peace. In other words, the kingdom of God is always meant to advance in us individually and corporately. It's not to be stalled. We as kingdom citizens and each individual in every generation, we have our identity as royalty. We're kings and priests and we're to advance the kingdom. Can you say Amen. We're going to go from glory to glory, from strength to strength, from faith to faith. And given the nature of the kingdom, God, God intended his kingdom to advance in every succeeding generation. In other words, one generation would be multiplied, and they would, they would push out the borders that God intended for them. They would hand it off to the next generation, and they would in turn push it out to the next, to the next borders for the next generation. Until by the time Jesus returns, the borders of the kingdom of God would encompass the whole earth. That was God's intention. 
But the, 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 and the kingdom increases as his people increase. Now, the key ingredient in this process of increase is inheritance. Royal families, do you know how they give to the next generation? Through inheritance. They give inheritance. It's the link between generations. And is what, what each generation receives from the previous generation and what they pass on. It is, it is multiplied. It is fruitful and, it's, and it multiplies. It is by inheritance that God wishes to establish this generation in, in its advance in his kingdom. Now, think about it. You have received what a generation paid for. Another generation paid for what you have received. Now you've got to pay for what the next generation receives. And we extend it out. Now the problem is that inheritance isn't always taken. We have to understand that. We have to pay our own price. And the Bible is very clear that a righteous man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, to his grandkids. And so what constitutes then the inheritance of the kingdom of God? What is it that we actually give? Well, let me tell you what the Bible says. Revelations 29, 29, or excuse me, Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. In other words, inheritance in the kingdom of God is revelation. It's that which is revealed. It's that which, which we, we, we go in and, and, and mine out and receive. It's the revelation. The importance of revelation from God's perspective is so great that the Bible says we perish without that revelation. And so we receive that revelation. It's our inheritance. And revelation doesn't come as knowledge because the Bible says knowledge puffs up. You don't need more knowledge. You need more revelation. You need more revelation. You need, what, is, what does revelation do? It's intended for you to move into a divine encounter with God. It's intended for you. Revelation moves you to have an encounter with the living God. And so as that divine encounter happens, then you understand things and you're led to be demonstrative in the, in the work of the kingdom. Because once you have a revelation, once you have a divine encounter, your life has changed. You know, I've, I've looked at these at these uh, Christian leaders who disavowed the faith recently? You know, I've, I've decided, I, I, at first I go, what? And then I figured it out. They never had a divine encounter. Never had a divine encounter. Because once you have a divine encounter, your life has changed forever. You, you can't go back. You gotta move on because there's revelation given to you. You feel it in your spirit, you understand. It, and revelation leads to, uh, to divine encounter after divine encounter. And it moves that. It, leads, uh, it actually leads us for breakthroughs. Divine encounters lead to breakthroughs that causes a personal transformation. So it starts at revelation. That's, that's why this pulpit has been full. This platform has been full for years with divine revelation. It's going out. you got to catch it. you got to catch it. You, you, are a, you are a king, and it's the right of kings to search out a matter. And to grab a hold of that treasure, there are treasures being given. What are you doing with it? The Bible says, sell everything you have and buy the field for the sake of the treasure. we gotta, we got to understand this for personal transformation's sake. It you see, personal transformation through divine encounters takes us to where we've never been before. It gives us signs. We, we experience 
counter encounters because we need signs. What, why do you need signs? You need signs for places you've never been before. I don't need a sign to show me where to go when I go home. I don't need a sign any place in Boise anymore. I know, I've been here 36 and a half years. I know this place backwards and forwards. But I need a sign when I go to New York City. I need a sign to go someplace I've never been before. When you have a personal encounter with God through revelation, you get a sign. He shows you where to go and how to do it. That's why we have these personal encounters. Amen. And so what happens is this. It takes us where we've never been before. And, and, and the, the travel is great and it's, it's powerful. But it leads to this inheritance. The, the fruit of revelation is always personal transformation. And it, it leads to this. So how does one receive this, this sort of inheritance? How do we use it? How do we work with it? You know, in times past, God, God felt it was so important that we, that we understand this inheritance. He built into, in times of remembrance to, to Israel's calendar. Each of their feasts or their fasts revolved around remembering the acts and the laws of God. In other words, because of the nature of testimony, remembering the past was meant to ignite a passion for now in the generation that was living. To know the God that they just heard about their fathers. You know, we hear about the, the miracles in the first great awakening, in the second great awakening, in the Jesus people days, in the latter-day rain movement. We, we, we recall all these miracles, and they're meant to, to remind us of something because the root of the word testimony is a word that means do again. When I give a testimony of the past miracles, what I'm actually saying is, Lord, do it again. Do it again. Every time we repeat the stories of God's invasions into human history, we are calling him to reveal himself to us as God today again. If you study the Old Testament, every time the Israelites failed to keep the book of the law in their mouths and remember their history, what happens is they fell away. Every time they fell away. And as a result, the revealed things that were meant to belong to the children's inheritance were lost. <clears throat> Excuse me, they were not lost. They were just forgotten. So each succeeding generation was unaware of their inheritance. Can I say right now? I think we have forgotten some of our inheritance. And if we have an inheritance we don't know about, we won't be able to use it. History shows, stay with me here, history shows that revivals last about two to four years. But that was not God's original plan. See, God never intended for his people to live for any season without the outpouring of his Holy Spirit. The outpouring was always meant to increase. Remember what I said? The kingdom of God is always increasing. It was always meant to increase from the day of Pentecost until the day Jesus returns. So the increase of God's kingdom in revival is typified in the Old Testament by the children of Israel going to the promised land. When they crossed the Jordan River, God told the people that the land was theirs. But they go in and it was enemy occupied. On purpose. Because why? If God had driven the enemies out, wild beasts would have taken over the land, so they invaded by degrees taking a city by heavenly strategy, occupying the land, and then advancing to the next region until the borders 
were established. He that hath an ear, let him hear what we're saying today. So in revival, realms where the kingdom of darkness has been ruling are overcome by the kingdom of God. We push out darkness, but we come in and occupy. That which you don't occupy, the enemy will take over. Watch this. Revival always comes through revivalists, those men and women who are so gripped by a passion of God's kingdom that he commissions them with authority and power to bring the kingdom through prophetic revelation and signs and wonders. And so they're pioneers, they're trailblazers. You know, for, for example, I'll give you three examples. John Wesley. John Wesley was so powerful in his preaching that he could be heard over thousands. There were thousands of people in his, uh, in his meetings. But they would always warn the people, don't get up in trees. Don't get up in the trees to hear him and see him. Because the power of God was so great that they'd be slain in the spirit and they'd fall out of the tree. So all during John Wesley's preaching, you would hear thud, thud, thud. The power of God was evident and resident. We see Maria Woodworth Etter in the Midwest, in the United States in the late 1800s. Her, people in her meetings would have visions of heaven and hell. She, she had she would hear reports of people who had fallen into the power of God a hundred miles away from her meetings. John G. Lake, not too far from us, in Spokane, Washington, during this same period of time, was having so many healings in his ministry in Spokane that it was declared by the government that the healthiest city in the United States was Spokane, Washington. Come on, do it again, Lord. But so many of the movements that began with these great men and women, far from seeing an increase in power, have only seen decline. Why is that? Why, why do things decline? Well, here's a couple reasons. While the children of revival may have recognized and applauded the miracles of God, we can go, yay, God, good job, way to go. But if they just applaud it, those things that their fathers demonstrated, most of them were unwilling to endure the ridicule and persecution that their fathers took. So they wouldn't do it themselves. Second reason is they failed to understand the principle of inheritance and the nature of the kingdom that it was always increasing. And it was their responsibility to increase it. When the Israelites stopped occupying and advancing into the promised land, their enemies started coming back. We see this in Luke 11. Luke 11 says, When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, seeking rest, finding none. He says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven more spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. Can I just, let, let me say it this way. When the kingdom of God advances and takes territory, we have to extend the border and we have to occupy it. You can't take it and not occupy it. Now let that just soak for a little. So in this principle, it, it's true of every person, every house. In fact, this evil spirit returning can refer to a person, a family, a church, a movement, or even a nation. We can have revivals in America, but not occupy. The enemy will come back even worse than before. And so this is the kingdom. Now, let, I'm going to say this. In the kingdom, 
The only safe place to be is the place of occupation and advancement. That's the only safe place. The moment we work to maintain rather than increase, we've, we've, we've lost our moment. It's like the parable of talents. Remember the guy tried to guard his talent? No. God gave the talents to increase the talents. God has given this house to increase this house, to increase God's kingdom in, in, this na- in these neighborhoods and in our valley. It's to increase. It's to increase God in you. It's to increase God in me. It's to increase God all around us. It is ever increasing, and that's what God wants. If we don't, we will fall back. Have you ever noticed Christians have been Christians a long time, and they're a bunch of grumpy, yucky people to be around? I'm preaching to all of us. If you don't advance, that's exactly what you're going to become. If you don't push forward, you're going to, you know what, you will turn out to be a, a complainer, a griper. You'll gossip. You'll just, you'll be the pe- person, I call them VDPs, very draining people. They're not VIPs, very inspiring people. They're very draining people. And you'll know if it's you when you're walking in church and everybody scatters. We need to increase. Come on, increase, increase. So much of the church thinks that getting the enemy to leave is the main goal. That's not the main goal. It's it's that there's a vacuum that's created in the spiritual realm which we must fill after we've uh, uh, taken up the battle with the enemy. And so we need to occupy unoccupied areas. And if we don't do that, the enemy will move back into areas worse than it was before. I'll give you an example. John Wesley and the holiness movement. Do you know holiness churches now are, are ordaining people who should not even be, or who are, we wouldn't even consider Christians. I won't go into the, the legality of it, but I, I, that which Wesley preached has now become something that they don't even believe in themselves. Yale University. Yale University used to be the center for revivalists. I don't know if you know that. It is now promoting a worldview that is totally opposite to the kingdom of God. Atlantic City, do you know? What, what, we, what do we know Atlantic City for? Gambling, vices, etc. Do you know, in the Second Great Awakening, Atlantic City, it was known, was known that you could count its unsaved citizens on one hand. It is the failure to occupy and advance the territory that has kept each generation from this revelation. So we've got to move forward. Can you say amen? Amen. And and advance that we might inherit and live in it and that we cannot be as uh, Luke 11 people because I believe that God wants to do great things in this house and in this valley. I, I, I see it. It's been prophesied. But you have to understand that if if we're not careful, we will be given a mantle, then we don't hand the mantle off to the next generation. So what happened with Elijah and Elisha? Elijah handed it off to Elisha. But who did Elisha hand it off to? We don't know. He didn't do it. My point being that each generation is responsible to hand off the mantle to the next generation. And the, the, the interesting thing is, that, that the mantle is, is not lost, it's just forgotten. In fact, I think there's mantles laying around everywhere that we as the people of God should be going, finding, 
taking up. Mantle of signs and wonders, mantle of miracles, mantle of faith, mantle of of great uh, generosity and giving. I mean, the list goes on. We should should dig them up. The Bible talks about Jacob going out and returning to Canaan. He had to dig out the wells. He had to redig the wells that had been dug because he knew that he was a king and the secret things belonged to the king. And so he would go out. Now, let me say it this way. God does not hide things from us, but for us. It's like a treasure hunt. And he has things for us that we can, that we can uh, find by hunting. It has been given to us to know the mysteries of the kingdom. For eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. God hides things for us because it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to search it out. Can I just, as I close, can I say this? There's royalty in you. You're not a pauper. Quit living pauper living. You're a prince. You belong to the king of kings. You're a part of the kingdom of God. Advance what God puts in your heart individually, and together we will agree and advance the things in, 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 the, in the church. But it goes further than that. We need to advance things in arts. We need to advance things in business, in entertainment. We need to advance it. We need to take it over for Pete's sake. Why is the church always following the world? It's because we forgot who we were. We're royalty. We're princes. We're kings. God is asking us to take up the mantle again. Some of you, God God is stirring your heart today. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to stir your heart for what God is always destined for you to do. You've got to step out naturally, spiritually, and do what God has called you to do. It's time. We're royalty. We're princes. God wants to give you revelation. But if you never spend time with him, you'll never get the revelation. That's what, I, that's what I've been telling you. Remember what I said a couple weeks ago? Could you not tarry with me one hour? I think there's a secret in an hour. I don't know what it is, but there's a secret in an hour with God. Jesus said to his disciples, could you not tarry with me just one hour? If we could tarry with God an hour. What if everybody in this room spent an hour with God a day? Please don't raise your hands and tell me if you do it right now because I don't want to be discouraged yet. But I believe soon this whole house will be filled with treasure seekers who are filled with destiny in their heart because they are the royalty of God. You're a king. You're a prince. You're a priest. Does this make sense today? We have inheritance waiting for us. Would you bow your heads? Thank you.